Night Talk with Oliver Dixon. It is a grave indictment of this international community that we can spend so much on war, but we cannot support action that needs to be taken to meet the most basic needs of billions of people. Those are the words of President Cyril Ramaphosa while addressing the United Nations General Assembly this evening. Roland Henwood, lecturer in the Department of Political Sciences at the University of Pretoria, joins me to unpack uh, the United Nations General Assembly and in part President Ramaphosa's speech and also what we can expect on the agenda. Roland, good evening. Thank you so much for your time. Really, really do appreciate it. Good evening, Oliver. It's a pleasure. President Ramaphosa's voice gets a little bit bolder and bolder each time he makes his way to New York, this time around, saying that it's an indictment on the international community to spend so much on war and so little on basic stuff such as poverty alleviation and, I guess, climate change uh, action. And he calls it a, a serious, serious indictment. Once again, telling the international community, especially the West, that they've made these pledges, but they haven't made the resources available. How much clout and credibility does his voice carry at the moment? I think his voice carries more credibility now than ever before. Um, one must see this against the backdrop of the very successful hosting of the BRIC summit in South Africa, but also some of the other engagements Mr. Ramaphosa has had on the international stage, um, where definitely people are listening to what he says. Um, but it's not as easy as just telling the world what to do and they will listen. The, the, the moment South Africa could achieve something in that um, vein has passed probably forever. Um, it, it's, it's an important voice. Um, what is interesting about Mr. Ramaphosa's speech is he did not really speak on South African issues. He yeah. spoke on Africa and the world. And that's quite interesting um, because he does not hold a specific position that mandates him or requires him to speak for Africa. But that seems to be ingrained in our foreign policy, and that is an, uh, an approach that he particularly seems to favor. Yeah. Uh, some of the issues that he had raised there were South Africa's position, or at least his imagination of a position on the coups that we've been seeing in the Sahel, of course, this past weekend. Uh, we heard of an attempted coup out in Congo, Brazzaville, which allegedly was a non-starter. But of course, there has been, over the last couple of years, a coup in Mali, Burkina Faso. Um, a coup more recently uh, taking place uh, with the ousting of Ali Bongo in, in Gabon. Uh, and the president says that he is not of the view that that's the correct way of regime change and that he doesn't support that, that democratic principles of regime change must lead the way. Is that a naive view or is that just a man very strongly believing in democracy and African states being able to lead democracy, specifically given that there's an incredibility of election outcomes, as we've seen, for instance, in Gabon, with Ali Bongo having allegedly stolen the election with overwhelming support of, with overwhelming evidence to support it, uh, you know, still serious doubts over Zimbabwe's electoral outcome uh, just last month. Uh, what is it? Is it democracy uh, being recentered and he strongly believes therein or is he just naive about the possibility of democratic uh, exchange of power in the continent particularly in the political instable Sahel I think as a point of departure it's none of those um, he, what he has done is to confirm and reiterate the 
official position of the African Union, which decided that it will not support, it will act against military coups, it will not allow members states where military coups took place to take a seat at the AU and participate at the AU. So what he is doing is basically follow the line of the African Union. Um, in other words, again, a continental position that comes from Africa. But that also, I think, is his personal conviction, and it's definitely the official position of South Africa in terms of its foreign policy. But the way in which it was um, presented is not, again, as a South African position, but rather as a position that is the official African approach to how these things should be dealt with. Mm. In line with that, the AU also has a specific um, for policy document on governance and democracy, including elections. And that is supposed to be followed, but quite a number, probably a minority of member states really follow those guidelines. Um, and that's part of the problem that you face. What, the, what is decided and what happens in practice are two very different realities. Mm. And that, of course, is part of the challenge of Mr. Ramaphosa's speech today, is what he says is good on paper, but when it comes to what happens in reality, there are so many contradictions and so many obvious problems with that that it it has one it leaves one with questions on is this just an idealistic expression or is there really a conviction that this is the way to go and achieve these objectives? Mm-hmm. Importantly, then, um, is there, and given that this is the African Union view, it's a view, of course, that they've expressed many, many times over, but is it a view that stems out of a collective that individually are nervous that they could be the next target of a coup in their own country, especially where there aren't much stable democratic institutions? Well, it might be, but I think if one goes back to the decision, it was a decision that developed out of the African Union and the collective leadership of the African Union, which, by the way, included people who came into office through coups, Mm. um, saying we have to stop this and reject this. And the bottom line is that there is ample evidence that no country that has a military coup is better at the end of that. And, And that's one of the myths, is that we have military leaders that step in because things are so bad and they want to make it better. Not a single one of them has made it better through a military coup. It is simply not the way to go. The democratic process, proper elections, proper governance is the only safeguard against what is going to happen when you have a military coup. And it's also the only safeguard to prevent military coups. But but that, Mm. of course, is where things go wrong. And I think it's important to, to register this at the level of the UN General Assembly, because it focuses attention of many leaders, of important leaders, on the problems and the challenges that also affect what's happening in Africa. No doubt the coup conversation will be one that is ongoing, especially given that countries like France, the UK, Germany, all have an interest economically, politically and otherwise uh, of what's happening in the Sahel. Has President Ramaphosa set the tone for what that conversation will be like or uh, is is his contribution to that conversation uh, innocuous? No, I don't think it's innocuous. I think he has, he is one of the people with a voice and definitely one of the leaders from Africa that are being listened to that's taken seriously. 
the biggest problem he has is not that people don't take him seriously. The biggest problem is what happens back home. And, and, and what happens back home includes what happens in Africa. In other words, what are his fellow leaders doing on the African continent? And of course, one cannot escape what happens in South Africa. Now, we, we don't form part of the coup generation, and, and we don't have a coup, but the issues of governance that affect Africa also affect South Africa. And, and those questions are being asked of leaders also, such as Mr. Ramaphosa. Yeah, yeah. Give us a call. I'm taking your reactions to this. 086-000-2032. 086-000-2032. I'm also taking your WhatsApp voice notes on 0614-104-107. 0614-104-107. Let's take a break. Night Talk. Giving you depth and texture to the conversations that matter. 23 minutes after 10 p.m. You're listening to Night Talk. I'm in conversation with Roland Henwood lecturer in the Department of Political Sciences at the University of Pretoria. Roland, I want to take the conversation here. President Ramaphosa spoke uh, to to the question around sanctions, very specifically calling for a lifting on the sanctions in Zimbabwe, saying that it has vast collateral damage for the, re- for the region, not just for Zimbabwe. Of course, the lift the sanctions on Zimbabwe movement has been gaining a lot of uh, momentum over the last couple of years, especially since Emerson Mugabe became president and told the rest of the world that Zimbabwe is once again open for business. Unlike, I'm assuming, his predecessor had closed it for business, that is, Robert Mugabe. Um, again, I want to go back to that credibility question and the weight of Ramaphosa's voice. Is it heavy enough? Does it have enough clout? Does it have enough, enough depth? for the world to really, especially in this instance, the U.S., to really listen closely to that sanctions conversation and to say, hey, you know what? Actually, it's time we lift the sanctions on Zimbabwe. Well, I think one must be careful. Um, I think, again, Mr. Ramaphosa's voice definitely carries some weight, but he's not supported by the actions of Mr. Munangagwa to assist in achieving that objective. And that's the problem. Um, there are different approaches and interpretations to the sanctions on Zimbabwe. The key issue is that the country is not under sanctions. The sanctions against Zimbabwe are sanctions against individual political leaders and individuals who are associated with initially the government of Mr. Mugabe. Um, quite a number of key role players in the current government were party to that process and are still sitting in positions of power. And those individuals are under sanctions. Um, does that affect the country as a well? whole? Probably because the most important, influential, and powerful people are sanctioned, and they mm. control, it seems, the economy. So, so yes, it has an effect. Does it have the effect that some people claim it has in Zimbabwe? I'm not convinced at this stage. Um, the problems you have in Zimbabwe are not caused by sanctions only. It's caused by the way in which the country is governed. Also, one must keep in mind that Zimbabwe is not under general sanctions in the world. There are a couple of important countries, the US, some from Europe that apply sanctions, but other key economies like China do not apply sanctions. South Africa Mm. does not apply sanctions. And these are probably two of the biggest economies that engage with Zimbabwe. So I don't think one must blame the Zimbabwean problem on sanctions, rather blame it on the 
governance and the, 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 the decisions of leaders in Zimbabwe. And then down the line, yes, the sanctions will have an impact and play yeah. a role. Um, but governments have indicated they are willing to lift those sanctions, but then you get the election that you've just had in Zimbabwe that undermines all of that. And, and, and that's the challenge. What happens within Zimbabwe is more important than what others around Zimbabwe are saying. I would differentiate in this context uh, what happens in Zimbabwe and what happens in Cuba, for instance, where you have had very important and intense sanctions campaign from the U.S. against Cuba very effectively due to the geographical um, proximity and the power imbalance, etc., all of those factors. Um, that's very different from what one sees in the Zimbabwean context. So to me, it's, it's, a, it's, it's not a logical argument to just link the two together and say this must change. I think it's, it's more complex than that, and I think it's more nuanced than that. Mm-hmm. And then there's the question on Israel-Palestine. He then says, of course, he once again reiterates South Africa's position that they believe a state, two-state solution is the right solution. And he says that the Israeli administration at the moment seems amiable uh, or, uh, to a, 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 a two-state solution. Um, does the behavior of the current regime or the current uh, administration in Israel demonstrate a, a country willing to facilitate a two-state split solution? Um, and is that the call? Is, is Ramaphosa making that call because he genuinely believes it, despite the fact that the ANC repeatedly, his party repeatedly describes uh, uh, Israel-Palestine as an apartheid state? Or is it a call that he has to make because it's the popular call? I don't think it's necessarily the popular call. I think it's a call based in principle. It goes way back in South African foreign policy that South Africa is, as it is referred to, ceased with the issue of Palestine and specifically trying to come to some kind of a conclusion and a solution to that. And South Africa has invested quite significantly in, in the past. Um, if one thinks back to the role of Mr. Aziz Bart in trying to establish and push for meaningful negotiations um, with other role players. I mean, there, there were so many peace efforts that, that, that took off and developed and then came to nothing. Um, but there seems to be a change in the politics of the Middle East broadly. And there seems to be some important changes that also affects the way in which Israel is positioning itself. Um, the question around that you ask around the current government, specifically the prime minister, is of course a challenging one. Um, in the not too distant past, he was basically pronouncing on the idea of a single state solution. And many have said that his policies have effectively killed the option of mm. the two-state solution. So it's it's not as clear-cut. Um, it's not something that I think is going to be resolved soon, and it is not something that one speech is going to resolve. Mm. Mm. However, I think if one looked at the other speeches, um, President Biden referred to what is happening there. Mr. Lula Silva referred to what was happening there. And these are other voices that are equally important and influential. So one would expect that more and more attention again be um, focused on what is happening specifically in the Israeli-Palestinian question. And of course, the UN playing a key role in that for a very long time 
and there are quite a number of decisions that will be confirmed or reconfirmed again on this issue and it will be something it is something that will be on the agenda of the general assembly again this year yeah yeah certainly and of course uh circling back to uh the uh, the russian invasion of ukraine he calls for uh, the global community to support the African peace mission, um, saying the seven African states uh, that are that placed themselves uh, as interlocutors for bringing about de-escalation uh, between Russia and Ukraine is one that needs global support. It seems like everyone uh, seems to unilaterally want to negotiate peace in 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 in, in, in between Ukraine and Russia, um, and there is no real view that the African peace mission outside of Africa is garnering any significant support uh, and, uh, you know, credibility, specifically because America has called South Africa's uh, non-aligned foreign policy position in the instance of Russia uh, duplicitous. Uh, you know, of course, we, we know the controversy around Lady R. Mm -hmm. Um, and it doesn't seem that America buys South Africa's story and doesn't seem like America thinks South Africa is a sincere interlocutor in this instance. Um, will the call for uh, increased support for the, um, or at least increased mobilization around the Africa Peace Mission, ring hollow in the halls of the United Nations General Assembly? Or will it land and, 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 and garner some real consideration by other, Afri by other member states, especially coming out of the East and uh, Europe? I don't think it's going to ring hollow, and I don't think one must underestimate the significant um, call and also the potential value this makes, but one must be realistic. South Africa is not going to negotiate and into the Ukraine war. But that's not on the table. If one listened to, to another important speech there, that was President Erdogan of Turkey, yeah. he also pushed the, the Israel in as a, as a peace maker and the broker um, and he basically argued that he's going to continue that with renewed vigor now that his election is done and all these short-term issues that he faced is more or less dealt with um, so there's another one mr zelensky made a speech just uh, in the last hour at the un and he um, spoke about his 10-point peace plan that he wants to be accepted and, and this is the important part. People are talking about different options of ensuring a peaceful resolution of the conflict. And in the end, it is probably going to be a combination of these different ideas and the different leaders that start pushing that may and that will have an effect in the long run. But I don't think one must expect one person to pull it off at this stage. The, the issue is that conflict is not yet ripe for resolution. It's yeah. going to take some time. But all of these are important. All of these ideas will probably in some way contribute to creating an environment where this is conducive and also reflect some parts of the reality that in the end becomes what is at the end of this conflict. So, Again, um, idealistic in the short term, but definitely not a waste of voice to, to, to focus on this and to try and convince that this is actually important. Maybe just also on this, um, important that Mr. Ramaphosa actually met Mr. Zelensky this morning at the UN. Yeah. 
and they discussed the, the processes. They also discussed what has already been achieved. Um, one of the important and very clear demands that the African group um, made when they met with Mr. Putin was the return of children that was abducted from the Ukraine. And according to the feedback after this meeting, that there's been quite some progress on this. Um, Mr. Ramaphosa also spoke to the importance of the Black Sea grain deal yeah. that and, and the, the transfer of grain. That was again part of the discussion. And I think this is the important dimension that South Africa is acting differently than it did in the past. Remember, it took a very long time for Mr. Ramaphosa to actually engage with Mr. Zelensky. And that is part of the reason why questions were being asked of South Africa's non-aligned stance. Are we really non-aligned or are we non-aligned only in name? But in practice, the argument was we support Russia. And I think what we see now is a leader that is acting with more conviction and is acting in terms of what is expected. Not only expected by some, but expected in terms of the ideas and the portrayal of himself. And that, I think, is a very important and positive sign. Yeah. Um, lastly, this United Nations General Assembly takes place on the back of, of a very contentious BRICS summit and uh, an equally ex as exciting G20 summit. Will the politics of either of those uh, geopolitical blocks and groupings play itself out at the General Assembly? Maybe not uh, at the center of it, but certainly on the sidelines, I would imagine. It's going to be there, but it's not something that is really affecting the UN General Assembly as such. Um, what is interesting, if one looks at this, is that Mr. Biden is the only leader of the permanent five members that is actually attending the UN and made a speech there. China is not going to be there. Yeah. Um, France is not going to be there. The UK is not going to be there. Russia is not going to be there in terms of the senior leadership. Um, which indicates also that there are other priorities and other challenges that we just face. Um, of the BRICS countries, South Africa and Brazil seem to be the two key role players at this stage in the first day of the UN General Assembly, making very strong speeches, focusing on issues of democracy and good governance, and then the challenges of the world in terms of poverty, inequality, developmental challenges, and environmental issues. The, the rest of the BRICS leaders have not yet um, surfaced at that level and in the context of the 78th meeting of the General Assembly. Yeah, we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you so much for your time, Roland. I really, really do appreciate it. And just finally, maybe to leave you with this, one of the words of President Ramaphosa in that General Assembly speech was, the wealth of Africa belongs to Africans. <laughs> yep, that's what he said. Sounds bold, does it not? Taking your reactions to that. Give me a call, 86 0 I'm taking your WhatsApp voice notes on 614 uh, That was Roland Henwood, lecturer at the Department of Political Sciences at the University of Pretoria. Let's take a quick break. On the other side of that, we speak to Sandile Swana, and that is on the new bill regarding our state-owned enterprises.